Welcome back, Bible readers. This is the Rooted Podcast, and this is week, I believe we're at week number 14 for 2021, which means, if I can do my math right, we are a third of the way through um, this year with 2021. And this week, um, we will talk about some Easter-related passages, some passages about the resurrection and the days after uh, the resurrection. So I'm excited because a lot of these verses and passages are very familiar uh, to most of you all out there, and you've probably read them through hundreds of times. Um, but hopefully as we talk through, you might be able to find some uh, new things in the passage and some things maybe you haven't seen before as you dig deeper into the Word. I've got Nathan here with me today to uh, help me to work through these passages. And so um, we're going to get started this morning, and uh, we're going to start with Isaiah. So the first passage we're going to talk about is a classic one in the Old Testament, and it's Isaiah chapter 53. And Isaiah 53, there's a lot that can be said about Isaiah 53, um, but I'm going to push it over to Nathan right away, and and I want you to talk about Isaiah 53, because I've heard from the um, from the stage here where we're at, I've heard you quote from Isaiah 53 so many times for different events and stuff. So um, what about Isaiah 53? What about this passage? I know there's a lot in this passage. There's not really, can't really do uh, just a small time in Isaiah 53. We could do a whole two or three weeks on Isaiah 53. But what about this passage really speaks to you? Because um, I know you've quoted from it several times and you've talked about it at different times. Mm-hmm. What about this passage? Well, to us, the obvious part is the substitutionary atonement of our Lord Jesus Christ. But uh, when I think about this passage and reading um, other things that I have read about this, is how curious this was and how strange this may have been to those uh, Old Testament scholars reading this because Mm. they, um, some had even come up with the idea of two messiahs right? because they couldn't reconcile the fact that uh, the conquering um, all-powerful messiah would suffer like this. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they came up with two. But we, when we look, we have the advantage of looking back and seeing an event. We see the life of Christ. We see how he suffered and how he died, how he rose again. And we have the promises that he's coming back. Right. So for us, we can dovetail those two ideas and have one person, the extraordinary person of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. And, uh, but getting back to the obvious thing to us as we look back at the cross is that Jesus is dying in our place. And the last time I quoted this passage was um, a song called The Cross Was Meant for Me. Okay. And, of course, in theology we call this the substitutionary atonement. So it's the fancy. I noticed you start out with the substitutionary atonement. That's the big word. It just I mean, has the idea more of, than once. As <laughs> <laughs> the idea just Jesus was our substitute, which is a big doctrinal thing. Right. You talked about those two. Two words there. Yeah, and, and those two um, um, beliefs about you know Messiah or two different Messiahs. I think I think some other scholars have also said it could be you know the Messiah and or the nation of Israel as like a mm-hmm. son or as a person personified. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they look at it that way. But like Nathan said, um, we have the advantage of looking back on it and understanding it. And sometimes we look back in the passage and say, "What was wrong with you people? Can't you see that uh, it's clearly talking about Jesus and clearly talking about Messiah?" Because it was given. Um, 700 years before Christ. So this passage, it was given 700 years before Jesus even came on the scene. Um, Now, what's interesting about the passage, I I was curious about what some other people have said about the passage. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's very familiar. So if you read down through with your reading this week, 
Isaiah 53, you obviously can see Christ in this passage. You can see his rejection, um, how he is, is tortured, how he is bruised, he's crushed, uh, the famous uh, passage here, and, and how he dies for our sins. Um, some people have often called this passage like the gospel in the Old Testament, because if there's any passage in the Old Testament that really teaches all of the gospel, it might be this passage. Uh, Spurgeon, who's a famous uh, preacher, he said this is kind of the Bible in miniature. So he says if you want to understand the whole Bible in one little chapter, then you read Isaiah 53. Augustine, or Augustine, uh, however you choose to pronounce it, um, called the whole book of Isaiah, he called it the fifth gospel. Which I think that's kind of interesting mm -hmm. because he's showing how important it is. Because we look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as being the ones you know that, that we go to obviously all the time, especially for the mm -hmm. death, resurrection, life of Christ. But he says it's the fifth gospel, and of course Luther, who we've heard of Martin Luther before, the famous uh, uh, reformer, he says that every Christian should have Isaiah 53 memorized. And I think that's a good thing. I think every Christian should have Isaiah 53 memorized. I mean, you talk about a passage that just helps us understand that the plan of God has always been, this has always mm -hmm. been the plan, and even 700 years, but yet sometimes they had trouble looking at it, and sometimes they had trouble seeing it. Now, my favorite verse, I hope you have a favorite one of this one, my favorite verse of chapter 53 of Isaiah is verse 6. And my translation, I'm reading from the NLT, says, And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And that whole sheep metaphor, and, mm -hmm. you know, you want to go to, I, to um, Psalm 23, you know, about how we are all sheep, and uh, just the idea of the metaphor of the sheep, and, and we are so much like them, and we can stray so easily away. But yet it says that um, the Lord laid on him on Jesus. And there's also a play here between God the Father and God the mm -hmm. Son. Uh, the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. He nailed them to the cross. So our sins were nailed to the cross, literally, by means of Christ who suffered. Um, what, are, what are these verses? Do you have any one particular of Isaiah 53 that's a favorite or one that you like a lot or one that maybe just speaks to you? Well, the one that stands out probably is verse uh, 5. And um, maybe putting verses 4 and 5 together, surely he's borne our griefs and mm. carried our sorrows. Yeah. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions mm. yeah. and bruised for our iniquities. Chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. You know, Tim often mentions, underline this word that is repeated over and over and over yeah, again. Yeah. Of course, you can see, you could hear the word, yeah. our our, so yeah. he's dying in our place yeah. for us. And then you talked about the we like sheep have gone astray. I thought about the verse in Ephesians that we who are far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Uh, that's a good verse. And there's a, not us seeking after God, but God who makes the initial contact. Right, right. It's nothing that we have done. It's all mm -hmm. of what he has done. Uh, good. And sometimes those small words... Um, uh, sometimes the, the repetitive words aren't really the big words, are they? Sometimes right. they're the small words like mm -hmm. the hour and the we and the he and the mm -hmm. she and the words that you always have trouble with in grammar class, right? <laughs> well, what about, so that's Isaiah 53. So as you read that, Isaiah 53, just think about the, the death, the suffering, the crucifixion of Christ. He did all of this for us because 
That was God's plan from the beginning, to offer his son as a sacrifice for all mankind. He gave us the best that he had to offer in the person of Jesus. And I'm so thankful um, that he sacrificed or he, he gave us his son for that because the son, uh, as Nathan said, it brings us closer to God as a result of the blood of Christ. Um, we are now reconciled to him. So let's talk about after the resurrection. That's in the New Testament, and uh, the next passage is John chapter 20. So in the New Testament, um, we come to after the resurrection of Jesus, and in John chapter 20, I think is our reading. Um, yeah, in John chapter 20. And what I find interesting about this passage here, because it's talking about the resurrection, uh, this is John's account. Remember, the Gospel of John was written some 30 years after all the other gospel writers wrote their accounts. So he's kind of reflecting back on the story of Christ. And I love John because he highlights things that sometimes we don't see, more theological things like big deal things. But one of the things I noticed here in this text in John chapter 20 as I read through it is, is the um, preoccupation, you might say, with the, the, the wrappings like the linen wrappings, it says. So if you look at verse 5 of chapter 20, the resurrection, it says, He stooped low and in, excuse me, he stooped and looked in and saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he didn't go in. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. He also noticed the linen wrappings lying there again. And, and in this is verse 7, while the cloth that covered his head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So John is really preoccupied, you might mm -hmm. say, with the actual linen wrappings, with the actual cloth that, that wrapped around Jesus' face, and with the actual wrappings here that obviously they're laying there. Um, and what I find really powerful about this is look at what it says in verse 8. It says, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and that was John. Now watch this. It says, and he saw and believed. For until then they hadn't understood the scriptures, said Jesus must rise again from the grave, and they went home. So John didn't need an appearance of Jesus to believe to that believe. Jesus actually had resurrected from the grave. And that's a very, very powerful statement. Because all the other apostles needed to see Jesus. At least that's what we're told as you read through in order for them to believe. Especially the classic, you know, Thomas who didn't believe and see. Mm -hmm. And we'll talk about him eventually. But I think this is really, really powerful. And you have this contrast between Lazarus. Remember Lazarus who, when he came out, he had everything still on him, didn't he? Mm -hmm. He had all his grave clothes and the, and the, and the thing around his face. They had to loose him and let him go. Yeah, loose yeah. him and let him go, exactly. Whereas here, Christ... He, he passed through. Um, and so I look at John, I say, wow, he believed just by seeing the grave cloths there, not, not even having to have, a, have, have seen the resurrected Christ. Now, he got to see the resurrected Christ, but it's so powerful to me that he didn't have to have that. And knowing what we know about Peter, yeah. um, I wonder if there's a big contrast between personalities where Peter would be impetuous, he would come in, he'd look, he'd make a rash decision, run out, and do something. Where John is noticing all these things, and then he believes. So I wonder if uh, he had, had more of a thoughtful personality, if he took things in a little bit more and uh, was not sprung into immediate action. Yeah, you think of John as a thinker and like Peter as a doer, you know? John was, it seemed like he, uh, and of course, he was the youngest of them all too. So um, I believe... 
uh, church history tells us that he was the youngest of all the apostles. So uh, he would have been the one that, I guess, had most of his life to think about you know, Christ. And of course, he writes the Gospel of John much later, um, so he's had time to reflect on some of these things. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and the, the, the promise here, or, or, or the good thing here, is that John didn't need to see the resurrected Christ to believe. He just saw the linen cloths. So today, the same way for us, if we read the Scriptures and we believe what it says about Jesus and we accept Him as our Savior, we don't need to see the resurrected Christ. But guess what? One day, we'll get a chance to see the resurrected Christ, and we'll get a chance to see Him in his resurrected state as, as we're going to be with him. So there, there's a good promise, and I think Paul says that too later on. Doesn't he say something like, blessed are those who um, who believe without seeing? I believe. Or, or, or maybe it's in this passage. I believe Jesus said that. Or maybe, okay, maybe Jesus <laughs> said that. I think it's in this passage. I think we read. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, this passage. I'm, I'm sure Paul maybe quoted Jesus, right? I can't <laughs> come up with it right now. <laughs> I'm sure it's in this passage, and we might find it here in our time. We but we but maybe I'm thinking I of hope. Paul quoting Quoting Jesus. Maybe he did. Huh? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah. We'll we'll figure it out if it's not. But anyway, but, to, to me, this this is a this is a great passage because of just what it says about John. That's just what I like. What else do you got about? Of course, this you know you end with that the last word of verse eight, believed, and that's uh, yeah. that's the word he uses over and over and over again, and the teachings he chooses to use that Jesus uh, was teaching was all about believing, and it runs through the entire. Gospel of John, and um, we're going to see it uh, yeah. even more as we we're going to see it later on. on. And look at that, what verse nine says as you continue. For until they, until then, they still hadn't understood the scriptures that Jesus says must rise again from the grave. So it, John makes it clear that all up until this point, yeah, Jesus, you're going to rise again. We believe it, but they really didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. I guess maybe they didn't know what was going to happen. And maybe that's why Jesus had to tell them three or four times in the Gospels, you know, I'm gonna, this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen. But they still didn't. Still believe. didn't believe. Still didn't believe. Still didn't understand, you know. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. and I think understand might be the better mm-hmm. term because I think they believed, mm-hmm. they just didn't maybe fully comprehend everything that was actually gonna happen um, to him with that. Okay, well, um, another passage here is Luke chapter. 24, and this is the classic passage of the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And I know I've read through this several times. Uh, You've probably read through this several times. Readers out there probably heard sermons and stuff preached about this passage about Emmaus Road. And can you imagine as the story is told, um, you know, Jesus kind of appears. The evening of his resurrection is kind of the time frame here. And he appears to these disciples who are walking away from Jerusalem they're walking towards Emmaus, which is set about six or seven miles away from Jerusalem. And then this person kind of shows up and wants to walk with them and mm-hmm. asks them. And I love what he I love what Jesus does. He just kind of asks them a question um, about, you know, who, who is this Jesus? Kind of like, who, who are you talking about? And they look at him and say, where have you been? Have, have you not been in Jerusalem? Do you know all of what's happened to here? And he says, no, tell me what's happened. And they kind of explain the story to him. And, and what they say, and it says um, in verse 19, the things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said, he was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death, and they crucified him. We had hoped, I like this verse, it's important, we had hoped that he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. So going from a prophet, what they thought he was, to the Messiah was a big step. 
and, and I know in, in other broad, in other uh, podcasts we've talked about this. There was there's this big big step that this, some of these people just couldn't get, going from a prophet, which they knew the Old Testament talked about, right, to the Messiah. That was a huge step from going from a prophet to a Messiah, and, and they didn't get it until obviously after the resurrection, mm-hmm. when obviously resurrection is a big part of the Messiah, right, because. He said he would rise again from the grave. What from this passage um, um, speaks to you other than I'd like to be a fly on the wall when Jesus talks about, you know, what's wrong with you people? Don't you know your Old Testament? Uh, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Well, I think of how um, foolish maybe they felt at the end. Oh, yeah. I'm getting out of order here. I was going to say that second, but I said it first. How (laughs) foolish they felt at the very end when they found out that was him. Yeah. And how humorous to us it is that they're describing these events to this man that it actually happened to him. Right. That he is the one. <laughs> but he came in some type of form we don't understand. Maybe you understand, but I don't understand. Mm. That they didn't recognize. So they didn't know they were talking to Jesus. Yeah. So... Um, there was one other thought I had, but uh, I think it's old like, age is preventing me from it's, bringing it. It's like a teacher who... Um, has just taught a lesson, he's, and, and they say, and the teacher asks the student and says, okay, I want you to tell me what I just taught. You know, obviously the teacher knows, kind of like Jesus here, he's saying, well, what really happened? And he's asking them the question, and maybe he's trying to quiz them or test them to see if mm-hmm. they really understand, because it seems like they don't, because then Jesus says, hey, haven't you read the rest of the Old Testament? You know, and he goes from the law of Moses and the prophets and explains to them all these things and how they connect to him. They all seem to be fixated on the uh, kingdom, about restoring the kingdom and the messianic rule. Mm. And um, they really don't think much about the, the suffering servant, as we mentioned. In, yeah, in they don't. Even when we get to the last passage for today in Acts, they're still obsessed with the king. And That's course, right, yeah. And, and of course, mm-hmm. it was, it was um, I mean, the kingdom is prophesied about... There's hundreds of passages in the Old Testament. I mean, just, you know, the coming kingdom, the coming kingdom, Messiah who would come in the coming kingdom and the coming kingdom and the coming. I mean, they were, they knew it was coming, but, uh, you know, obviously they weren't ready for it or maybe they just didn't like the fact that Jesus was the one that was bringing the kingdom. And they didn't have any type of prophetic timeline written in some book they had read. Right, right. (laughs) A graph. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Like we have and we can look back on and we can put everything together. You know, it's a good thing. I mean, um, it's wonderful that we have the completed Word of God and we can look back and connect all the dots to, as much as we can. We can connect all the dots back together and really understand this. And, and when we do that, we realize, wow, God really did have a plan. This is really magnificent how this connects all together, this tapestry connects all together. But I feel for them you know, in the middle of it because um, it's hard in the middle of it. No wonder so many of them didn't really get it until after mm-hmm. the resurrection. And it's hard for some of them, I would think. We've been teaching about these things for centuries now. Yeah, yeah. Longer than so, centuries, probably millennia. So <laughs> advantages on our side. Yeah. Uh, the, the, the big advantage they had was seeing, yeah. actually seeing him. That, oh, you, oh, that's, that's a huge advantage. And the understanding they had not uh, been able to establish in their minds. So I have, I have a hypothetical question for you. It just, it just occurred to me. Would you rather have been an eyewitness to Jesus or never have been able to have your scriptures in your hands? Just a hypothetical. Oh, wow. I don't, <laughs> just, it's a hard one to yeah, answer. Um, I don't know, but you think they would. You think you have to actually see Jesus. Yeah. But we will get to see Jesus yeah, one day anyway. Yeah. So. yeah, we'll get to see him one day, but to actually see him after his resurrected state and 
talk and have conversation in a whole three and a half years with him. That's kind of the reason why know. some people want to go to the Holy Land and they don't see Jesus, but they can see the place where he was. Is that a plug for the yeah. Holy Land? <laughs> we should we should take a trip to the Holy Land. Hey, I'm still kind of a little bitter and upset. I'm still dealing with it, not being able to go to the Holy Land after um I guess it's coming up COVID. again sometime. <laughs> well in twenty twenty two, um they're 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 working on a plan, but okay. I'm still a little upset. But that's okay. Um one day I'll get to the Holy Land, right? In the millennial kingdom right. because it'll be in the Holy Land, so but it won't be in the same fashion as it is. Maybe it's been rearranged by that time through the tribulation and all the earthquakes and everything. Anyway, we're getting really off track. So <laughs> we need to get back to, um, we're going to go back to the John 20 passage and we'll finish the rest of it. John 20, 19 to 31. That's Wednesday's uh, reading. And um, I have a note written down here. I just don't know what it says. So hopefully I'll be able to figure it out. Uh, but in this passage, it says in verse 19, that Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said as he spoke. And he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side, and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. And again, he said, peace with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. So he appears all of them together here. So it seems before this point, you know, he had appeared to Mary Magdalene and John had believed. And I think he had appeared to Peter individually, but then now he appears to everybody all at once, but it's all behind locked doors, which I think mm -hmm. John is, it keys in on that and says, this is the resurrected Christ. He, he has a resurrected body. He doesn't have to. I think that's where we get the idea of walking through walls, walking through right. doors, you mm -hmm. know, because he appears here and he doesn't have, to, everything's locked and they're afraid of the authorities because they're afraid the authorities are going to find them and persecute them. And, and, and so Jesus appears here. And of course, it later on goes to Thomas, who's the classic one and says Thomas. Um, later on, he appears to Thomas or the 11 with Thomas or the 10 with Thomas. I can't remember. Judas is gone now, isn't mm -hmm. he? So it's the 10 with Thomas. Right. Um, here, but what about this passage? Anything in here sticks out to you about? Oh, this is the passage here. Here it is with the believing without seeing. Oh, okay. So this yeah. was this was the one um, at the end of the John twenty. Here it is. Um, I should have figured. Verse twenty nine. Yeah. It says, "Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me.' Right. Um, and, and so he says, Jesus says, this is the reason why you believe in me. But he says, more blessed are those who don't see me, but yet still believe. And that's for us today. That's mm -hmm. for church age believers today who accept what Jesus has written down, accept what the scriptures say, and put our faith and trust in Jesus. What else about this passage? Anything else about this passage? Um, I think we pretty well covered it. <laughs> that, that last, look at that last little verse of uh, chapter 20, verse 31. Um, it says, but these things are believe. written. Yeah, and that's a big one, isn't it? But these mm -hmm. things are written so that you might continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power of his name. That's kind of, John's kind of ending the book. There's a, there's some more material, but he's kind of ending right. the book and saying, this was written. And so it's kind of saying, all that I've put in my book is designed to show you that Jesus is and was and still will be, or still is, I guess you might say that, the Messiah. Um, and those signs he puts, you know, these signs are written. I mean, how many signs? What was his first sign? It was uh, all the way back in the book of John, the, um, the uh, wedding. The wedding at Canaan. Yeah. yeah, that was the first sign. So through John, I think there are seven, aren't there? Through the whole book of John, I think there are seven where the text actually says these are seven signs. And John's saying, if you 
Look at those seven signs. Those are what I've given, John says, so that you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So there's a reason for it. I think there's seven. If it there's not seven, it really sounds good that there should be seven, right? Because right. seven number is a good number. <laughs> because, yeah, seven is the number of perfection. So and that's an important thing. And then as we continue in chapter 21 uh, for your Thursday um, reading, um, this is an interesting thing, too, because then Jesus appears again later to the disciples, and they're on the Sea of Galilee. And uh, um, they are, they're here, and uh, they see, or they, it seems like they've gone back to their, um, their old vocation. It started to go fishing. Right, right. and that's what uh, many preachers and commentators have made big of, the fact that yeah. they weren't just going to go on a fishing trip. Right. That they were going to return to their previous profession. Right. Well, you also have to think about, too, I mean, they got to have food. They got to eat. They got to right. make money. They got to provide for their family. It's not that they're just leaving the faith. You know what I mean? And some people have looked at that passage and thought, well, what's wrong with they're just leaving the faith? They're just going back to their old life. Well, I mean, they still have to provide, still have to right. eat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, when they get out there and, you know, they see Jesus and... and, and uh, um, Jesus says, uh, cast your net on the other side, you'll carry more. But I like this, when they come in off the shore and they see Jesus, Jesus is making them breakfast. And you got to tell me, Nathan, that's got to be the best fried fish in the world. I mean, come on. Jesus is making breakfast for right. you. I, 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 it's got to taste good, right? still see him being <laughs> the servant there. You know, uh, exactly. Serving. Good point. Great point. Because he had uh, displayed that by washing their, their feet. Washing their feet. Now he's cooking so. them breakfast. Yeah, because yeah, remember, Peter says, if you're going to wash my feet, Lord, then wash my whole body. Oh, right. Remember, he was like, don't just wash mm-hmm. me, wash my whole body. So I imagine maybe Peter, in this case, maybe he was going back for seconds and thirds of Jesus' food, you know, making making a lot of it. I don't know. It, it could have been. Um, but the, the big point about that passage is that Christ restores Peter, and that's the, right. that's the big point, because Peter had denied him three times, and now Christ kind of restores Peter almost like three, three times, times as well. And I think that's that's really powerful, and, and I'm sure that um, uh, you know it happened. But I'm glad that John included it for us because if not, we would have never known. You know, if, if we would have thought, well, Peter's kind of left the, you know, left the faith almost, but now he's been restored, and John includes it because he's the only one that includes that for us. And so, if we didn't have that information, we kind of think, wow, Peter just decided to leave, like. Judas did. It's really good to have Peter in the scriptures there yeah. because we all fail and fail miserably, mm. and yet the Lord is still calling out to us to follow him. Yeah. Yeah, he continues because even at the even at the last part, you know, um, he just, at verse 19, he's like, follow me, you know, follow me, mm-hmm. follow me. I mean, that's the epitome of what discipleship means according to Jesus. Just and this is the me. guy that's used in Pentecost. Yeah, exactly. Same guy that's going to be used in a mighty way. Same guy that, that, that kickstarts. Uh, really, it's John and Peter who form the first, uh, they're the main characters in the first, first what, three, four, Acts, yeah. five chapters of Acts. Uh, they're, they're a big deal. Before Paul um, takes over. Yeah, yeah, before Paul takes over. But, um, but then you got some other characters in there too, and Stephen and some of the mm-hmm. others that are, that are good characters as well. Now, after the resurrection um, of Christ, uh, I also have, have included some passages about the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 16 to 20, Luke 24, 44 to 53. You'll read those verses on Friday. And those verses are just a reminder 
uh, about our responsibility to make disciples, uh, the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples as they're, um, as he's leaving earth, he's giving them instructions about making disciples, teaching them what I've taught, baptizing them, you know, and, and, and part of that discipleship is something that we do all the time, something that Jesus called us to do. And so I wanted to include those in there at least before we look at um, Acts chapter 1, because Acts chapter 1 kind of uh, continues the story of, of what's happened in the Gospels. In fact, Acts is the, um, how can I say it? Um, the book of Acts is the only inspired sequel. That's a good way of saying it. The only inspired sequel to the Gospels, because all the other books you know, our letters written much later, and some of those other New Testament books are written within the confines of the time frame of the book of Acts. Uh, you know, as Paul's writing to those churches, he explores in the book of Acts. But Acts is the only inspired sequel. So it, it continues the story. So the Gospels, we might say, is a story of, of Jesus and his ministry. And then Acts is a story of how the apostles continue to minister in Jesus' name. And you get in Acts chapter 1, and like you said earlier, here again... They're going back to the kingdom. Right. They're, 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 they want to know what's going to happen. They want to know when. And so Jesus tells them, no, it's not the time, but this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah. He gives them an understanding of their responsibility during this age and the age to come. You know, and, and you think about wanting to know when and, and how preoccupied mankind mm -hmm. is with some of those things. I mean, books and materials and preachers from years and years and years and years, always predicting, always wanting to find out when. Why are we so obsessed with so when? So we're still preoccupied with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Why are we so obsessed with it? You think you have a reason? I don't have a reason. I'm just asking. Why well, do you think we're so obsessed with it? That's just an interesting, just something very interesting. Our human nature. Some, some people. Yeah. Our human nature, maybe to no. want to control or mm -hmm. to know. I think there's fear in the unknown, right? Yes, that too, yeah. Like the, the uh, apostles were fearful, what's going to happen when you leave Jesus? I think that was their main thing. They were like, wait a minute, you're going to leave us? Mm. Of course, he says, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit, which is a big deal, right, mm -hmm. before I leave. But I think they were just afraid that you're going to leave us. And they, so they wanted to know when this was going to happen, of course. And they were looking forward to it because from their time perspective, you know, they thought the kingdom was going to come like next week, you know, <laughs> or next right. month. I mean, they were ready for it to come mm -hmm. and because it says, and of course the, the word there used, uh, I think it's in verse six, it says, so when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to, um, my translation says, and I think it has it right, it says to free Israel and to restore our kingdom because the restoration there, the word is a political restoration. And so they were concerned with, when are you going to come back and overthrow Rome? That's the only thing they were concerned about, isn't it? only thing they were concerned about because they wanted to be the ones who were ruling, right? right? They wanted to have that golden age like they did with David and Solomon and wanted to rule. And Rome has come and gone. It has, hasn't it? And that's, that's an interesting thing. That's, that's an interesting comment. Rome has come and gone. Other nations have come and gone as well. But right. Israel has still stayed right where she's supposed to be. And if that's a testament to the fact that God's still not done with Israel, then nothing else, nothing else is. You know, I, I think about uh, the preoccupation with the sensational, mm. which uh, we, we, we think about prophecy as sometimes being sensational, Christ coming back as being sensational. What about making the gospel of Jesus Christ and giving out that gospel something sensational? I yeah. mean, it's like the 
climax of history, right there on the cross of Calvary and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. You know, and I think that's I think that's kind of the point of what Jesus was trying to say. He's right. like, don't make the kingdom or what's going to happen in the future as your main focus. Mm. Because he says in verse 8, but you'll receive power and then you're to be my witnesses. You're mm. to make the gospel sensational and you're to get the gospel out in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria and to the rest of the world. Don't get distracted by the future events, he says. And even Jesus says, listen, the Father knows when he's going to unroll all those plans for the future. But right now, you have the responsibility of making the gospel something sensational. I think Nathan makes a great point because we oftentimes want to make the end times events sensational. Right. And we look forward to that and we dream mm-hmm. about that. And, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, I look forward to the day when Jesus will pull back the clouds and mm-hmm. come back for the second coming. Um, but that's not what we're supposed to do right now. We're supposed right. to make the gospel of Jesus Christ sensational. Make that important. As he says, be my witnesses. Witness is a key word in the book of Acts. And it's a great way of saying just witnessing what Jesus has done for you. It's, it's when we talk about telling others about Christ, a lot of times the best thing is to give your testimony, which is what a witness did. Right. He testified of, of his faith in Christ. And so, of course, these apostles were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And, man, they turned the world upside down, didn't they? They did. With, with being an eyewitness of Christ. Think about if you saw the resurrected Christ, think about how that would change you, like all the way down to your DNA. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would just change you completely. And one day we'll get to see the resurrected Christ, um, whether we're raptured out before death or after death in the rapture, um, we'll get to see that resurrected Christ. Anything else from these passages? I think our time is pretty well, pretty yeah, well I think finished. Our time is pretty well, pretty yeah. well up. I, I can't come up with anything right. Yeah, these at these this are moment. these are good, and it's good for us to read these passages as it relates to after the resurrection, because you know we're in after the resurrection week. You know, as Jesus continues to appear for forty days. Um, and I, and I think that's important for us to read to just kind of stay in, in focus. Now, the next couple of weeks we're going to be getting into, since we started with Acts, Acts chapter 1 here, the first couple of verses, the next few weeks we'll be covering, I think, the first 12, 12 chapters of Acts. So we'll stay in Acts and continue the story of the church in the next couple of weeks of podcasts. Now, remember... Um, you can always get your Bible reading through the Connect magazine. Remember to get that. You can download that on the website or you can pick one up while you're here. Um, the Bible app also on our church app, uh, the Bible portion of it, the Bible reading has the daily readings there as well. If you have any questions, don't forget, please don't forget, if you have any questions about your reading, send them to Bible reading at lmbc.org and we might be able to answer some of those questions live uh, here in the podcast. So that's all for this week. Uh, enjoy your reading and we'll see you next time.